This is Bold Dominion, an explainer for state politics in a changing Virginia. I'm Nathan Moore. Well, it's been five months since the pandemic lockdown really started here in the U.S. The message of the day was, and still is, stay at home, at least as much as possible. We know that this kind of social distancing helps curb the spread of the novel coronavirus. But how do you stay home if you lose your home? That's a reality facing millions of Americans, including many thousands here in Virginia. Even as jobs disappear during the pandemic, rent still comes due at the first of every month. This week, we look at the risk of eviction facing thousands of Virginians, and how our state's history and laws end up disproportionately harming communities of color and Virginia workers. I mean, one of the conversations I have with my friends who represent the professional property management groups is, look, my clients can't afford to rent from your clients, <laughs> you know? My clients rent from what I've come to gently refer to as the less professional landlords, but they're slumlords and they're predatory. That's Christy Mara, the Director of Housing Advocacy at the nonprofit Virginia Poverty Law Center. We'll hear a lot more from her later in the show. But first, we turn to Virginia Mercury reporter Ned Oliver. Virginia has had an on-again, off-again moratorium on evictions over the last several months. Last Friday, Virginia extended its moratorium on evictions by an extra month into early September. Ned explains how we got here. It was really initially not intentional. What they did is just there was a pandemic and like everything else in the state, the courts shut down. So by default, eviction hearings stopped. Uh, It became more deliberate as time went on. Governor Northam asked the court to to extend a moratorium specifically on evictions once the courthouses kind of began to reopen. There's now a, a you know state funding that can help renters, but evictions have uh, backed up and there are quite a lot of them basically ready to roll out. People are starting to get evicted. Uh, now there's a, a moratorium on evictions that has been extended again. What's going on this summer? Yeah, it's been it's been hard to follow, and I can only imagine if you're a tenant actually facing these issues, how hard it would be to keep up with what's going on, even in your specific jurisdiction, because some courts at the local level are handling it differently than other courts. But basically, where we are as of today is the Supreme Court of Virginia has once again issued an eviction moratorium that will carry us through September 7th. The latest request that the governor made for an extended moratorium He set up his rent relief program, and at last report, that had helped under 2,000 people. The number was fairly small. They have $50 million to work with. And he said that with coronavirus cases going back up, that evictions posed a health risk, the idea that people would be losing their home in the middle of the pandemic that, that, that would seem to be getting worse is something that he didn't support. The court is actually quite divided on this. They issued an order that was a split decision. A four-member majority granted his request to extend the program, the the moratorium, and three justices, including Chief Justice Don Lemons, opposed it, writing that they thought it needed to be dealt with at at the legislative level, that this wasn't a matter that the Supreme Court should be intervening in or placing their thumb on the scales of justice, as they wrote. The, the Supreme Court of Virginia may have been split on that decision, but they did grant an extension of this moratorium based on, in this case, a public health emergency. They did. And the the logic, the reason Northam said he wanted it extended through September 7th is the General Assembly later this month is about to convene for a special session. And he hopes to address the issue legislatively during the special session. He has not made any specific proposals yet about 
what he, he hopes to do during the special session, but he has said that he's looking for more funding to expand rent relief programs. There's a new report out from dozens of academics and low-income housing uh, advocates that estimates how many households are vulnerable to eviction during COVID. And in Virginia alone, they estimate 600,000 to 880,000 people at risk of eviction. I mean, what happens when that moratorium is eventually lifted? The, the courts will start hearing the cases and, and people will start getting evicted. And, and it really just depends on what kind of help is available and how you know recovered we are. But, but basically, the points advocates have been making is the numbers we're seeing right now, that 12,000, that 9,000 cases pending, that's normal. And, and we really haven't seen yet the wave that they're warning of and the wave that the statistics you just cited suggest we'll, we'll see. You know, what's been the response of the landlords through all this uh, moratorium on, on evictions? Well, well, they opposed the moratorium flat out. Uh, they, the, the director of one of the apartment management associations told me that they sort of view it as, as going from, you know, a relief act to more of a taking from one class of people to another. They've generally opposed most of the reforms that, that have been proposed since Desmond's research came out. That there, there were some some laws that were enacted, but, but they were really kind of nibbling around the edges of the problem. They made it easier for tenants to appeal eviction judgments. They set up a pilot diversion program in a few localities. This year, they did go a little bit further and created a 10% cap on late fees. So landlords can no longer issue flat fees if people are, are late paying their rent or a portion of their rent, which was a pretty common practice. Uh, that said, they oppose some of the the reforms that, that I heard advocates saying they thought would actually make a much bigger difference. For instance, making landlords wait two weeks from the point where they warn a tenant that they're going to be evicted to the point when they actually file that eviction. Currently, it's five-day, it's called a pay-or-quit notice. Uh, the advocates were saying, listen, if you make it two weeks, then you know people get paid every two weeks, and there's a chance that the tenant will get paid between the time they weren't able to pay rent and the time that you're currently suing them. There were a lot of things like that that landlords re really resisted and, and as a result didn't pass. I think the politics of this are, are pretty interesting, too. It's definitely not a partisan issue. Uh, there's people on the Republican side and on the Democratic side who are who are really supportive of landlords. I mean, many of the lawmakers themselves own properties or are landlords themselves. And then, you know, on the more tenant-friendly side, again, there's a number of Republicans who favored sort of going further to, to help tenants as well as, as Democrats. That's an, this is an interesting one then, that it's not uh, breaking down on party lines like so many other things do. Um, why is that? You know, I, I really can't say why that is. There's a lot of resistance across the board, mm -hmm. uh, across the political spectrum. And I think that that might have a lot to do with the kinds of people who end up getting elected to the General Assembly, their life experiences, and, you know, again, like, you know, where they find themselves situated. When I was listening to these debates in General Assembly committee meetings, you know, it, it was very common for lawmakers when they were asking questions to pipe up and say something like, you know, well, I, I own four properties and I wouldn't want my tenant to be able to do X. As a state, we're electing a lot of uh, representatives that, that come from you know, uh, upper middle class position or, or, or more. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say so. Yeah. 
Uh, speaking of, of um, opposition from landlords, I saw this letter from Richmond attorney Brad Mars, who represents landlords and other business clients, who wrote to the state Supreme Court claiming that the governor, quote, seeks a wealth transfer from property owners to tenants and called the moratorium extension stupid. So, I mean, is, is Northam a secret Marxist trying to uh, redistribute Virginia's wealth? I would definitely not call Northam a secret Marxist. <laughs> um, that, that's not the vibe I've gotten from the guy. Uh, he's fairly conservative or moderate when it comes to some of these issues. And he's definitely resisted calls from tenant groups, advocacy groups, calling for him to use his executive authority to issue sort of a more thorough, uh, less stop and go Supreme Court based eviction moratorium. That said, I I think the response that you hear from advocates to, to that kind of argument is that Printing, buying property, and renting it is an investment, and it's kind of the only investment where the investor seems to think that regardless of the market conditions, they should be getting a return on that investment. So, so I think that, that, that that's the argument on the other side. It's like you made this investment, and there were risks to that, and you're encountering that risk now. Yeah. It's like a risk of any other uh, business, small or large or otherwise, or, or not even just business, but actual investment. Yeah, that that's that's absolutely true. I, I mean, I think the solution that, that we're marching towards that, that kind of makes everyone happy is the state stepping in and making landlords whole and keeping tenants in their homes. The question is how much money there will actually be available to do that. We're in a situation where the entire budget was put on hold because of this pandemic that's you know caused state revenues to plummet and the General Assembly is about to come back to Richmond and try to figure out how to balance that and they're not going to have enough money to do everything they want. Uh, what can we expect from uh, uh, General Assembly proposals in the special session coming up? So the big one is a legislative eviction moratorium, but the politics of that seem shaky and unlikely to me, just if you look at the makeup of the General Assembly and how they've reacted to these kinds of housing issues before, for it to be enacted immediately as emergency legislation, it would would require a two-thirds vote, unless there's some procedural maneuver I'm not aware of that would allow them to get around that. So so that's just like a non-starter. There's no way they would get a two-thirds vote from, from the General Assembly to to, to just stop stop evictions uh, immediately. And, and without that emergency clause, it wouldn't go into effect until, I believe, December. So that's kind of pretty far out. The other things that I'm hearing people talk about sound more plausible based just on, you know, my observations of the General Assembly. One proposal I've heard discussed is greater protections for people who live in hotels and motels. Uh, those kinds of temporary housing, uh, basically extending sort of the standard landlord-tenant protections to anyone who stays in a hotel more than two weeks. Currently, it takes a lot longer for for those kinds of protections to kick in, and we've seen, particularly in Hampton Roads, uh, that that's been an issue, especially during the pandemic. The other thing that I've heard discussed is a mandatory payment plan. We will, I'm certain, hear from landlord groups that this is something that they already do and are happy to offer. So I don't know that that would get a lot of opposition. The more organized groups uh, sort of the more are, are the more professional landlords, these large multifamily properties, and they have legitimately been offering payment plans 
so so I don't know that we would see them oppose that if it's framed in a way that matches kind of what they're comfortable with. I mean, at the same time, uh, th those sound like interesting proposals. I'm also struck by how, at the end of the day, there's there's a problem where some hundreds of thousands of Virginians don't have enough money for, for rent right now. Is there anything else that's going to keep people in their homes? Well, we, we keep hearing the governor say that he's pushing for more federal funding. And I think at the end of the day, that's pretty much what everyone is hoping for, that we'll see a palatable solution come from the federal level. The state, again, has to pass balanced budgets, can't borrow for this sort of thing. In the long run in Virginia, advocates are pursuing greater tenant protections in the sort of looming housing disaster. Ned Oliver is a reporter with Virginia Mercury, where he covers housing policy and more. You can read all his coverage at virginiamercury.com. We're going to take a short break, but stay with us for the second half of the show. Christy Mara is the Director of Housing Advocacy at the nonprofit Virginia Poverty Law Center, and she's going to take us through Virginia's looming eviction crisis. You're listening to Bold Dominion, a state politics explainer for Changing Virginia. Visit us online at bolddominion.org. Got a friend who's trying to figure out Virginia state politics? Well, tell him about this show. And then subscribe in Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever fine podcasts are served up. Bold Dominion is a member of the Virginia Audio Collective, online at virginiaaudio.org. Check out all the latest podcasts from the collective, including our newest one, This Week in Virginia History. Sure, Virginia history includes big moments, big battles, and big names, but the richer history is made up of smaller events occurring in the fullness of time. The disenfranchised, the nonconformists, and just regular people making Virginia history, week in, week out. This Week in Virginia History is available at virginiaaudio.org. Well, Virginia currently has a moratorium on evictions that lasts until early September. But is that just kicking the can down the road? What happens to thousands of Virginia renters once that moratorium ends? Christy Mera is the Director of Housing Advocacy at the Virginia Poverty Law Center. That's a nonprofit organization that works with the legal aid community of Virginia and that works on a variety of civil legal issues trying to improve policies and laws. The court filing numbers are deceptively low. Right now, for example, in the next eight weeks, there are something like 94, 9,500 eviction cases scheduled to be heard across the state. Now that sounds high, but you're talking to someone who lives in the city with the second highest eviction rate in the country. And of course there are four other large cities in Virginia that are among the top 10 evictors in the country. There are three or four mid-sized cities in the top 10 evictors for their size city in the country, and even one county that has an eviction rate of over 20% historically. So um, the numbers we're seeing now are artificially deflated. The reason for that is even though things have been bad and slow and backed up at the Virginia Employment Commission, we still know that people did get that pandemic unemployment compensation of $600 a week. About 75% of those who were eligible and qualified did get that. So that helped with those numbers. Um, the other 25% have been at risk of eviction, and it was probably for those who are still in their homes, just the CARES Act protection that kept them there. So here's where we are now. 
in terms of help to people, whether it's unemployment compensation or rent relief that goes directly to landlords or any, there really isn't anything else, right? We know that if we get more money into this rent and mortgage relief program, and if we give the program time to get that money out to people, that many of the landlords will be made whole. The problem is it's going to take a good six months, if not longer, to get all that money out to all those people, given the small staffs and the fact that we only have 30 agencies giving out all this money. So that's why right now we are very worried about all the people who will get or could get evicted during the next six months. One of the um, running themes that the show has had in the last couple months has been that Virginia is just weirdly, uniquely bad in a lot of systemic ways. So why are there so many Virginia cities and, and localities that seem to have such high eviction rates already before the pandemic? The best explanation that I've heard is that it's just a perfect storm of bad for renters, right? So first and foremost, we have a history of segregation and other Jim Crow laws, both at the federal level and the state level, that isolated certain communities. And this kind of goes to who's getting evicted too, but it isolated certain communities and it deprived those communities of uh, the ability to own homes. You know, we're talking about our, our black and brown fellow Virginians. At the same time, there were many other laws and practices once those laws became illegal that deprived that same community of people from accumulating wealth. All of that to say, what we ended up with were cities where people were not able to accumulate wealth, renting at disproportionately high rates, renting places that were possibly not being maintained as well as they could because the people that were living there, the renters did not have the political power. And speaking of political power, we've also had a real imbalance of law in this state up until the past year or two where the laws heavily favored the landlords. We think they still favor the landlords less so, and we're gonna work to change that. But up until two years ago, they heavily favored the landlords. And I think all of these things worked together to create this perfect environment, unfortunately, for evictions. I think we have to acknowledge that eviction, when we look at who is primarily getting evicted and what communities are being and have been decimated by high eviction rates, we have to see it as part of systemic racism to be dismantled. What are the numbers on, uh, um, you know, black and brown people getting evicted? Well, here's, here's one thing I can tell you that I thought was really uh, appalling, which is uh, according to recent data from uh, the Stout eviction counter, they looked at the self-reporting of Virginians as to whether or not they thought they would be able to pay their rent next month. 50% of African-American renters said they didn't think they'd be able to pay their rent next month. 8% of white renters said they didn't think they'd be able to pay their rent next month. Wow. So that tells you who's at risk of eviction. You mentioned that some of the laws, I mean, the laws are still troublesome, but that they've changed over the last couple of years. What has changed? Um, so a couple of things in the past few months that I think are helpful. They're not what we need to see the systemic changes that would truly level the playing field along race lines, but they're definitely helpful. And so the first one went into effect April 22nd, 
and it placed a cap on late fees. So up until April 22nd of this year, the only thing that the law said was fees on late rent have to be reasonable. Um, so that left a lot of interpretation open to, to judges and to landlords because a lot of people don't challenge their late fees in court. You really only challenge it if you're getting evicted and you wanna challenge your eviction, which just about everybody should. Um, we would see late fees as high as, you know, 20, 25, 30%. And now they're capped at 10%. So that's a good change. Um, there's also, you know, always, we always struggle to get information about their legal rights out to tenants. And as of July 1st, landlords are now responsible for providing tenants with a statement of their rights and responsibilities. And until they provide that statement, they can't bring a case, any kind of case in court against the tenant. Um, so that's really helpful. Oh, and, and another one um, that we've been working on for many, many years, and kudos to my friends at Housing Opportunities Made Equal and to um, Delegate Jeff Bourne and Senator McClellan, who also worked on this for many years, but that is protecting people who have Section 8 and other rental subsidies from being discriminated against and forced to live in these um, homes that are run by slumlords and not kept up. Um, new law says that you can't, as a landlord, use the fact that somebody is paying with a Section 8 voucher or some other rental voucher as a reason to deny them housing. And that was a big, big problem. And it really was the reason, one of the reasons that people would end up in places that they didn't want to be. I mean, one of the conversations I have with my friends who um, represent the professional property management groups is, look, my clients can't afford to rent from your clients. <laughs> you know, my clients rent from what I'm I've come to gently refer to as the less professional landlords, but they're slumlords and they're predatory. And they're every bit as predatory as predatory lenders that we have said we won't tolerate this state anymore, right? So they're just a different kind of shark, right? They're a rent shark instead of a loan shark. Some of whom actually purposefully charge more than somebody can afford in rent because their business model is to churn tenants out. And that's who we see in court. I mean, that's who we see now trying to evict people. It's, it's the less professional landlords who tend to go to court as a collection mechanism instead of using the more professional tools like payment plans. When does all of this kind of come to a head? We know that September, October will be critical, right? They're critical because that's when all the CARES Act landlords can bring their tenants to court. They're critical because we'll have people who have exhausted their savings, have, you know, some people did get the $600 a week unemployment benefits despite um, all of our concerns and despite the fact that we know a lot of people didn't get it, but those who did, this may be the first time that they're not paying rent, right? This may be the initial vulnerability for them. And so we are really um, pushing for that moratorium to protect people, to protect all of us from having thousands of people um, homeless during a pandemic. What other kind of executive action can Northam take or has he taken? We are confident that he has the authority to issue an executive order um, putting a moratorium on evictions, but he has not done that. And we, um, in terms of the rent and mortgage relief program, 
the parameters right now are that a tenant, if they are below 80% of area median income, which can be quite high in places like Northern Virginia or even Richmond, they are eligible um, if they, you know, if they've lost, they're at that income level, experienced a loss of income due to COVID-19, and there's a long list of um, ways in which your income loss is associated with COVID-19, then they qualify for full rent payments to their landlord, and they can get those for three months in a row, and then they have to recertify that they're still eligible, and they can get it for another three months. And their full rent payments, and the landlord has to, you know, forgive the tenant for that month's rent, and obviously can't file an eviction. So Northam, you firmly believe that he has the ability to, to put a moratorium. He has not done so. What is going on there? I think he doesn't agree with me. <laughs> <laughs> He's been very clear. Um, his communications team has been very clear that, that he doesn't hold that same opinion. Um, so that's a, a question of um, legal interpretation. But I will direct you to the um, attorney general opinion that came out a few weeks ago that I read as saying he does have the authority. It certainly did not say that he doesn't have the authority. So you know how, how that goes when you're, you're reading, um, you know, when people are trying not to, not to come out and give advice where they're in the public eye and shouldn't be doing that. But at the same time, the question was, does he have the authority to do it? And they said, well, you know, well, we need to we need to look at the particulars of the request, but which says to me, yeah, probably, you know. <laughs> um, but again, so so I think the attorney general agrees he has the authority. We think he has the authority. He does. He is not convinced. What uh, there's the upcoming special session um, on the 18th of this month for the general assembly. What do you hope to see, or what is reasonable to expect? So we hope to see two things. We hope to see an eviction moratorium put in place. Um, either through legislation or budget language or both. We know we have legislation being introduced by uh, Senator Hashmi and Delegate Cole. We're hoping that that passes. But again, language in the budget could do the same thing. And that would also fill our need for a moratorium for a pause on evictions. And then we'd like to see another $200,000 put into the rent and mortgage relief program now, this month. Um, there'll be an opportunity to review that amount both during the veto session, which happens in October, and then again during the regular session, which happens in January. Plus, this is not state money. It's federal money. It's CARES Act money. And the governor has the authority to um, allot more money from the CARES Act, or if the stimulus package that's being debated in the Senate right now, in Congress right now, provides additional money for rent relief, which we think it will, that money could also be allotted by the governor without an act of the General Assembly. So um, doesn't really, you know, where it comes from, whether it's this pot of money or that pot of money, um, as long as it's that initial flow of another 200 million with the reviews and along the line. All of that to say he could review that in November, right? If the money really runs out in November and he doesn't put anything extra in in October, in November, he can say, oh, we got, we still have X amount of money from the first round of federal funds, or, oh, we just got X amount of money from the second round of federal funds. I'm going to take another 300 million and put it in there. So um, I do think we can 
somewhat go step by step, but I think we need that initial 200 million along with the commitment to add more money as needed. What kind of resources are available for those who may have already lost their home or maybe about to in the next couple of weeks or months? If anybody out there is about to lose their home, they are facing an eviction, there are two things they should do. First, call the uh, Virginia Poverty Law Center, our eviction legal helpline for free legal advice and a potential referral to your local legal aid for representation. And that number is 833-NO-EVICT. And secondly, find out who is giving out the um, administering this rent and mortgage relief money in your jurisdiction. Get in touch with them. Um, If you don't know, you know, get in touch with the Poverty Law Center, get in touch with somebody, find out who that administrator of those funds are and get an application in as soon as possible. Christy Mara is the Director of Housing Advocacy at the Virginia Poverty Law Center. Thanks to her and also to Virginia Mercury reporter Ned Oliver for joining us on this podcast. My name's Nathan Moore and I'm the host of Bold Dominion. Huge thanks to our producer, as always, Aryan Baloo. Find this show online at bolddominion.org. Go ahead and subscribe. It's just a click away. Keep social distancing, y'all, and I'll talk with you in two weeks.